Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 141 of Aid Thompson and Other Disappointments. I am your host, Aid Thompson. Um, this is the solo show. If it is your first time tuning in, uh, I do two shows a week. I do a Friday night one. Tends to be quite exciting, a little bit boozy, if I'm honest. Sometimes I have a little bit more than I probably should do, whilst trying to maintain some level of professional broadcastery. Um, but yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, recent guests have included Channel 5's Gemma Forte, uh, Dane Baptiste, the wonderful, inimitable, can't say that word. Maybe I need a couple of beers now, I don't know. Uh, Super Tansky, uh, Davey Moo, who else have we had on? Otto English. Looking forward to getting Marina Perkis back on again soon. So yeah, Friday night tends to be a, it's a lot of fun. A little bit of debate, a little bit of back and forth with like-minded people. And indeed, sometimes not like-minded people. Um, I've got an ex-Tory MP kind of candidate guy who's moved into broadcast. He's coming on soon. So that should be interesting. I had Dapper Laughs on a few weeks ago. Do you remember Dapper? He was in the news for all the wrong reasons a few years ago there are there's good publicity and there's bad publicity and some people would tell you there's no such thing as bad publicity aid i think dapper would disagree i think <laughs> when you're when you're heralded and celebrated by the best selling newspaper at that time in the uk which was uh the sun when you're celebrated by the sun for being like the uk's hottest new comic I saw him uh, labelled as. Um, and then within a matter of, like, weeks, it just all fucking exploded. He just flew too close to the sun. No pun intended. He just... Like, because he was a guy who... Look, I know I'm, I'm going off on a tangent here somewhat, but he was a guy who came up the social media route. You know, he didn't go to the fucking Brit school. He didn't... He wasn't a runner... For some little independent production company and slowly volunteered for more jobs until he got hired as a TV presenter and then ended up presenting Love Island or B BBC Breakfast or some shit. Like, that wasn't his route. He was a cruise ship comedian who then started hosting open mic nights. And then he downloaded this app called Vine. And he made a few silly sketches and they caught fire and then he got a contract with ITV and had his own TV show. And then all of these comedians started coming out saying, no, what you do is not comedy, Daniel. And uh, yeah, he got in a lot of trouble because his brand of comedy, a lot of the, I hesitate to use the word establishment, but it was, you know, establishment comedians, people who came up through like Cambridge floodlights, people who... Um, you know, your Jimmy Cars, your David Mitchells, your Issy Sutties, like all, all of these, this type of comedian. Actually, no, I don't think Jimmy Carr was really involved in this, but that type of comedian, the Oxbridge, BBC, Panel Show, Peep Show Extra, like that kind of comedian. They all wrote this open letter basically saying, fuck off, Dan Daniel. Like you, you, what you do is not comedy. Okay. Take a break. Take a hike. Go back, learn comedy, then come back. Like, stop harassing women in the street. That was a, the whole thing, because his show, his TV show was called Dapper Laughs on the Pool. And it was basically that. It was like, 
you know, this at that time, 26 year old guy teaching men, teaching insecure, like habitual romantic failure men how to approach women industry. And like now here's the thing, like it's how like what an example of how far we've come that <laughs> that show would never get greenlit now would it can you imagine pitching that shit to somebody in the upper echelons of itv like yeah look we're gonna get this guy he's gonna teach these men how to chat up women in the street he's just gonna like you know just they were gonna walk up to women that don't want to talk to they're just going about their business just trying to get from the bank to the fucking supermarket and this guy's gonna like push these insecure lads into them and be like yeah so now talk to her talk to her this is how you talk to women like harassing women on a tv show and anyway so that you know ruffled a few feathers as you might imagine um and then so then once they decided all of these comedians and chunks of the media had decided that this was not comedy and dapper was public enemy number one uh and look it wasn't just that it was also you know a few of his vines few of his videos that he had done uh uh sort of took the piss like they were uh you know they, they channeled some kind of sexual violence comedy but as he said when he was on the podcast a few weeks ago it was actually nothing different to what you would expect to hear from somebody like Jimmy Carr. The only difference between the two of them was that Jimmy Carr speaks in a, you know, cut glass Oxbridge accent. And so you are able to believe that this posh, educated man would not really think those things or would never behave in that way, really. It's just comedy. Whereas with Dapper, you know, he's a working class guy. And there was this feeling that this is actually who he really is. And so he got into a lot of trouble. Um, and we had a really good conversation about it. Like he 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 was saying to me, he was like, you know, now I'm a dad. I've got two daughters. He said he like he's married to a feminist. And there's so much stuff that he used to do that he would never dream of doing now. And I said to him, like, I was like, do you understand, though, like the real crux, the real problem that you had was that you're a good looking guy and you're sh telling men effectively or making a joke of it or, you know, schooling them in this TV show or making light of it in your Vine videos. You're making it look like men can just go up to women and then harass them and then get a date or you know, you make it, but then there's this, you know, hundreds of thousands of like not so good looking men who could do that exact same thing <laughs> and it would make the women feel incredibly uncomfortable. Like, do you understand the difference between those two scenarios and therefore your responsibility as a guy, not just with a platform, but also as a guy who then might influence other men who might look at your behavior and go, oh shit, look, look what Dan's doing. I should do that. That's how you get women. So therefore, one plus one equals two. I will now go out and then harass women. And that's how I'll get like, like, do you understand that? And to be fair, he was really cool. He was like, yeah, yeah, I do understand that. Now I do. At the time, I just thought people were, you know, kind of hating. Um, so anyway, it was a really, really interesting chat with him. Um, I don't know how I got onto that. That was a bit of a sort of hark back 
to an episode a, a few weeks ago. But yeah, it was, a, it was a really fun, fun chat. And I do enjoy talking to people on the show uh, who aren't necessarily from the same walk of life as me or who don't hold the same attitudes 100% of the time uh, as I do. Although, you know what, like ironically, you know, I, I don't know too much about Daniel O'Reilly's you know, early childhood or anything, but I, you know, I did go to a regular state school comprehensive and I suspect he did also. Uh, I did grow up on council estates and I think so did he. So, um, so maybe, you know, we do have that in common. Right. Anyway, guys, let's, let's take a look at the news. Itching to get into this. Um, uh, I should have done a little bit more podcast admin with you. I should have talked to you a little bit. Should we, should we do a bit about that? Um, do you know what? I'm on a mad hunt at the moment for sponsors for the show. Partly driven out of this desire to make this show my full-time gig. Like, you know, I, I have a full-time job and I love it. And I'm really, I love the team that I work with. And the money's good and it's great. But if I could just do politics, shit-talking, having a laugh, meeting Patreons... um contributing to this program or like if i could do this sort of stuff all the time i mean that would be fucking amazing i would truly be doing something that i you know i really i got up in the morning like yeah what can we do now so anyway i've been hunting sponsors the last few days and um i've decided this guys i'm going to outsource the stress and anxiety and pressure of surviving the cost of living crisis <laughs> and trying to navigate my way through the financial tumult that it is yielding and the fear of remortgaging. I'm outsourcing all of that anxiety and stress to you guys. You dear listeners. So here's the pitch, right? I'm going to need you <laughs> I'm going to need you guys to go out and find me some bit. Maybe you own a business. Maybe you're considering promoting in podcasts, in one of the fastest growing podcasts to ever emerge from this specific shed. Maybe you're open to that. Maybe you have some sort of, you know, new app where it's like, whip, we're like the Uber of personal massages. Like, so maybe you're, is that your business? I don't know. You could sign up for a subscription fruit and veg box. Like, so, you know, maybe that's your thing. And maybe you're looking at ways to get the word out there, to promote, to advertise your product. Anyway, I'm thinking you guys, dear listeners, you go out and find these businesses for me <laughs> and then bring them back to me. Tweet them at me, put me, put them in touch with me or so. Because here's the problem, right? Yes, I'm going to be very grateful if you do that. Yes, I might give you free access to the Patreon if you do that and give you invites to the live meetups, of which actually there's another one coming up in March. There you go. There's a live gig with me, Super Tansky, Danny Price and everyone. But then I'm going to do a separate like meetup in, in London in March. So yeah, yes, you'll get invited to that too. But here's the thing. If you don't, <laughs> here comes the hard sell. Here comes, the, here, this is where it gets a bit threatening. The only podcast host in the UK to threaten his own listeners. If you don't get the word out there and sort me out with some motherfucking sponsors, I'm going to start 
making adverts for products that I really shouldn't. And you're just going to have to sit through them anyway. Like the worst adverts, the worst products, the worst brand alignment and partnering strategy that you can imagine for this content. You're going to have to sit through the adverts of like 20 seconds of me saying shit like, and this Nazi memorabilia on eBay is only $99.99. Like, horrible brand partnerships. It's much better if you guys go out there and find me products and brands and services that I can promote that are actually some fucking interest to you rather than you having to listen to made-up shitty adverts. There you go. That's the deal. What do you say? Or I might just make up some, you know, outright fake adverts for like you know pepsi maybe i'll promote pepsi and have pepsi get really angry about it <laughs> just like as like adding on taglines to pepsi that they've not brand approved through their million dollar pr departments and shit and like don't forget guys like you have to drink pepsi because if you drink coke you're a paedophile. No, what? No, that's that is not what was written down and approved by Pepsi. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the look as well. I guess what I'm trying to say is get on board with this now. Help me grow this shit. Make this my full time gig or the adverts are going to get insufferable. Maybe not for you, maybe just for Pepsi's PR department, but, you know, it's fine. Uh, so what's in the news? Let's let's really get into this shit, shall we? So top stories on Sky News right now. The UK is considering considering sending tanks to Ukraine. For the first time. The UK. Considering sending tanks to Ukraine. Well, that can only end well, right? That's that's got to be a good idea. Who's who is sitting at the upper echelons of fucking the Ministry of Defense right now? Who is who's workshopping that idea? Like, you, you know what we haven't tried? I, I know that the military engagement, I know the invasion, I know that the war is lasting significantly longer than any of us had possibly imagined. I know I'm frustrated, too, Jeffrey. But here's an idea. Here's something I don't think we've considered it. I, I certainly haven't heard anyone suggest this idea for some inexplicable reason. But have we? Has anyone else considered? Has anyone considered sending in tanks and foot soldiers into the battle? Uh, I, 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 no, no, nobody else. Like the whole table would just look at him. Like, are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> like the whole, the whole thing that's keeping this from becoming. A nuclear fucking nightmare is the absence of foot soldiers and tanks. Not to mention the absence of Western, like UK and American foot soldiers and tanks, like actual artillery. The only thing that's stopping this from literally blowing up, crescendoing into a nuclear cloud that will fry your fucking skin off. The only thing that's stopping that is the absence of foot soldiers and artillery. It's so nutty to even suggest it, because what's going to happen? Like, please, please, Ministry of Defence, please think more than one step ahead. 
at a time. I know it's not in the DNA of the average Tory politician to actually think longer than a week or longer than the next couple of news cycles. But I beg of you, please start looking at this as chess and not checkers. Like, just sit, just sit there for one moment and just think to yourself, what is going to happen if we roll in 3,000 tanks and 10,000 soldiers? What are the likely outputs of that decision? Let's think this through. So the tanks go in, and then Putin says, well, hang on a second, like, if they're putting tanks in, maybe I'll put a tank in. So in come the Russian tanks, or more Russian tanks. Or maybe he's already spaffed all of his tanks and foot soldiers supply, right? So maybe then he's like, oh, well, shit, if the UK are putting their tanks in and their soldiers, I guess, you know, to, to work the tanks, and I've already used it, well, what do I have left in my artillery to then address that increased threat? So then the threat level goes up. Maybe more robotic tanks or like fucking Boston Dynamics foot soldiers start coming out. Maybe then like harsher artillery starts like little nukes. They'll just start with little nukes, you know? Well, you know, you'd, I didn't want to use these fucking nuclear mini warheads to fucking obliterate five miles of the front line. I didn't want to use them, but you pushed your tanks in and I had to respond to that threat. That's, that is how this will go. And then we'll say, well, you started using the mini nukes, so now we have to use the mini... And the whole thing will just go up and up and up until then what happens? The fuck it, like... Like long-range nukes start coming out to play. Well, I didn't want to have to use them, but you start, like... Please start to think of this in longer than three-day or five-day increments. What else is happening? The NHS strikes are going ahead as the union boss has branded the talks an insult. The health secretary, Stephen Barclay. Stephen Barclay? Steve, I believe he brands himself as. Uh, sorry, Steve Barclay fails to avert further walkouts by nurses, ambulance workers and auxiliary NHS staff, which I've never heard them described as that before. Auxiliary. Imagine that. That just sounds like you've been <laughs> like you're the mezzanine floor of the staff. That would be a bummer, wouldn't it? Imagine that if you were like described as auxiliary. But these guys are paramedics. These guys are nurses. That guy over there is a fucking heart surgeon. This guy over here is a doctor. He saves lives. What do you do? I'm um, yeah, most mostly auxiliary. Wow, fucking hell. How many medals have you got? Like, <laughs> you sound important. So then the Unite Union have branded these negotiations as an insult. And they say there was no detailed discussion on a pay settlement. This is the problem, isn't it, with politics today, is it's all performance. So much of it is pantomime. So now Steve Barkley gets to claim that he's 
sat down with the union bosses or, you know, they're attending negotiations. They're trying to avert things in good faith. Meanwhile, the representative from Unite comes out saying there was no discussion about a pay settlement. And there was press briefings this afternoon where they had said um, that a one tactic that had been approached was this idea of a one-off pay payment to nurses and doctors and so on. A one-off payment where it's like, yeah, look, we'll pay you, you know, five grand each. Two, I doubt it would even be that much. It'd be like, <laughs> like 1,327 pounds. It's like, fucking wow. Thank you. That just about gets me through my heating for the year. And then what happens next year? How do we balance the books after the last 10 years of austerity? What about the rest of the shit? <laughs> well, we've, we were very generous. We paid you 1,320. But do you know what I mean? Like They get to look reasonable, like they've attended this meeting with the unions. Meanwhile, nothing of substance has been yielded whatsoever. And so the, uh, the Unite Union gets to now say that these negotiations were an insult. Meanwhile, the government get to say, well, look, we tried. It's the equivalent of a husband going to marriage counselling and his wife is like, you know, he just never listens to me. He's always on his phone, tapping away. And like then he started having weekends away with the boys. But I checked in with some of their their wives and they said that they haven't been away. So I don't even know where he's been. And then this, you know, the husband sits down in the marriage counselling thing. And the psychologist or, you know, therapist or whatever it is, is just like, I mean, you know, we've listened a lot to what Janice here has said. Um, is there anything you'd like to say, to share, to respond to her feelings of how she feels neglected and not listened to and betrayed by these weekends away? Anything that you'd like to share? And then he's like, just farts, just shits himself and then walks out. And then he gets to say to all of us, well, look, I tried the counselling. I tried the therapy. You know, he gets to say he was there. He sat down. He tried to negotiate and respond, but she just didn't want to hear it. Anyway, let's uh, let's move on. Very childish humour today. Um, it says, Strikes by NHS staff will go ahead this month after a meeting between union bosses and the health secretary broke down. Steve Barclay failed to avert further walkouts by nurses, ambulance workers and auxiliary NHS staff during a short meeting on Monday. Short meeting. Yes, I bet it fucking was. Literally Steve Barkley walking in and going, <laughs> no, you, you really thought I was going to actually be here and, and sit down? No, no, I'm literally just here to say, go fuck yourselves. I'm out. Um, it says union leaders reacted in anger over the meeting, which had been seen as a breakthrough in relations after the government initially said it would not talk about pay with unions. Uh, so it looked like a 180, looked like they were going to U-turn and actually sit down and negotiate. And as I say, they were reporting this like, you know, we're thinking about a one-off payment. We are going to sit down with unions. We had that speech by Sunak a couple of days ago where he was saying, I want to sit down with the unions. I want to, you know, to try and look like a leader. But really all that was, was a response to accusations that Sunak himself had gone missing in action. So he gave that speech to be like, look, I'm still here. I'm still here. I want to sit down with the unions. I want to do this for the nurses, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, now this is the actual output. This is the substance 
beneath that symbolism is not that they want to sit down with the unions or celebrate the hard work of nurses. It's just, yeah, well, I yeah, tried to negotiate, but um, yeah, absolutely nothing came of it in this quote-unquote short meeting. It continues. It says, One Kassab Unites nation, uh, sorry, National Lead said the government only wanted to talk about productivity. How about that? That is just, there's the insult. If you were wondering why they were saying they branded the meeting insulting, that is all you need to know, is that quote there. One Kassab, Unite's National Lead, said the government only wanted to talk about productivity. Like, imagine hearing that if you were a nurse, or if you represented nurses, or if you were a doctor. You're working fucking flat out. 17-hour days. You're working so hard that your overtime payments, which would normally take place in a traditional setting, right, uh, between, you know, when you clock out, like 5.30, if you stayed until 10 at night, you would see that as overtime, right? <laughs> Not in the NHS. Since Jeremy Hunt recategorized it all, and he was like, yeah, we're not going to pay you overtime any longer, even if you stay after a full eight-hour day. That is no longer overtime. We don't want to pay any more for that. We're going to make savings. Go fuck yourselves. Um, imagine if you were doing so much overtime that they had to recategorize it as not overtime any longer. You're already putting in a shift and a half. You're already, like, they're paying you, like, under the... Uh, agreed rate for that overtime. So there is not a productivity problem here. You're already working so hard that the, the nation stand out on their doorsteps and clap you. <laughs> You're already working so hard. E even in, like, still pitching up for your shift, even though there's no PPE to protect you from a new deadly respiratory virus, there is no productivity issue here. But the government walk into that meeting to discuss your pay and conditions but instead of talking about pay and compensation they sit down and go yeah we want to talk about um how hard you're working how can we make you work harder is there some way that we can increase productivity because i think that's really what the issue is like wouldn't you be fucking livid <laughs> Is there some way we can um, address the productivity problems that we've got? Like, what planet are you on? Read the fucking room, bro. The government only wanted to talk about productivity, though, they say. And there was no detailed discussion on a pay settlement. And they confirmed strikes by Unite Ambulance Workers will go ahead on the 23rd of January. To which the male will probably reply, how can they live with themselves? Because they live also in three-day increments. They can only, there's no context at the Daily Mail head offices. There's no context in the Ministry of Defence to look at the broader picture, to look three steps ahead, or indeed ten steps behind, and look at how we got to any particular point. They only exist in 24 or 48-hour news cycle increments. How can they live with themselves? They will absolutely say. Rather than panning out and looking at the 
causes, the contributing factors, the influences that have led us to this point, that have led these workers who actually love their jobs to say, you know what, we can't fucking do this. You know, it was hard. It was already not a well-paid job in 2012, guys. It was already taxing. Pretty challenging getting through a month in 2015. Then you started harping on about how if we leave the EU, it might save the NHS. A lot of us got on board with it. A lot of us thought, do you know what? Maybe we could funnel 350 million back into the NHS. Maybe a few of us could get a pay rise. Maybe that is the catalyst that might finally yield some respect for this vocation. And then we can finally afford, what, like a family holiday once a year? Maybe I could finally dig myself out of this credit card debt. Maybe I could afford a second car so my wife doesn't have to walk to work and walk home in the blistering cold, in the dark, feeling self-conscious about her safety. Maybe this is the moment that we can actually start to retain some dignity for this most respectful of vocations. Maybe this is the moment. But no... That was in 2015. So then they left and then year on year, shit's got harder. And now it's just impossible with heating and energy and mortgage and rent payments all going up. Finally, they've reached the end of their tether and they're like, this is actually impossible now. But all of that context, all of that shit will be out the window. Because the mail, the Ministry of Defence, the Tories only exist in a 48-hour news cycle. It's like they've been men in black. <laughs> Which, to be honest, you know what? On a bad day, I wouldn't mind being men in black myself. On one of those days where you accidentally, I don't know, break your key off in the front door lock, you're like, fuck, now I need a locksmith. You have to go around the back, smash the back. Oh, now I'm in the house, but I've also smashed a window. Fucking great. Amazing. A parking ticket comes through the post for something you thought you got away. With. Ah, fucking hell. And it's gone over the two weeks. It's doubled. Because <laughs> I didn't open the letter in time. You're having a bad day. There's days like that. Please just fucking phaser my brain and just erase the last 48 hours of my life. It's fine. But unfortunately, that is, you know something technology has not been able to reproduce just yet, much like hoverboards and flying cars. We are living in the future, just not the one that we were promised by Hollywood. Let's continue. Uh, Mr. Kassab said it was absolutely ludicrous and outrageous. The government only wanted to talk about NHS staff being more productive in exchange for a pay rise. I mean, it is quite cheeky, isn't it? It's quite cheeky pairing money with productivity when you are a politician. <laughs> because it's like, if money equaled productivity, politicians should be the most productive people on the planet. You know, I work in tech. And I make okay money. And I'm reasonably productive, I think. You know, you could you could make some sort of mathsy equation and pair it with how much I'm paid versus the lines of code that I write and I approve 
and the architecture that I strategize and, and so on. Just like you could pair the productivity of nurses, I guess, you know, how much they're paid versus the number of lives they've saved that year. That's not outside of the realms of possibility. I get that there's a, there's a productivity element to it, however insensitive that sounds. But if we're going to gallivant gaily, for want of a better word, uh, down this, uh, this trajectory of pairing money with productivity, well then, I mean, this is an interesting day to do that, considering Sky News have just presented this, uh, this report in tandem with, I think it's Tortoise Media, where they've said, Tory MPs have made something outrageous, like 15 million quid. <laughs> 15 million! That's like a quadruple rollover of the lottery. 15 million from second jobs. And and then there's speaking engagement money on top of that. Uh, there's, fuck it, like donations, private donations being funneled into their offices for their admin staff. There's weekends away. 15 million to Tory MPs. And yet, what kind of productivity do we get for that? You know? And their 82 grand salary on top of it. What kind of productivity are we seeing? Especially given, what were they on, 75k last year? They, they voted to give themselves a pay rise to 82k. Which really, in the context of getting 15 million from second job, I mean, why do you even need the extra, like, <laughs> 7% pay rise? Like, I mean, that really is just flipping a middle finger off to to the regular working person. Like, you don't even need that money. When you're pulling in, like, I'm not saying it's 15 million per politician. I know it's, like, spread out across a few people. But Theresa May made fucking, like, 2 million from speaking engagements. Boris Johnson made, like, 1.2 million from speaking engagements. A lot of these other guys, they get, like, you know, 50 grand here or 100 grand there from their second jobs and their donations and their speaking and blah, blah, blah. So for them to make this much money on the side as a side hustle versus their actual 82 grand to then campaign for the 7% pay rise or whatever it was is really just, I'm sorry to borrow a Boris Johnson phrase here, but it kind of is chicken feed. Which makes you, you know, so it yields the question then, why bother going through the media rigmarole of having to justify that extra 7% knowing that it's going to attract such scrutiny and such ill feeling and such valid accusations that you are detached and you're out of step with the challenges that everyone else is facing in this cost of living crisis. Why would you proceed with that if it's such a comparatively paltry amount? Unless there was some horrible, dark, very Tory part of you that's like, <laughs> you know, I, know, I don't even need it, to be honest. I, 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 do you think I give a fuck about an extra £7,000 a year, which after tax actually waters down to about £3,500? I, I mean, I couldn't give a fuck less. I could not give a call and a shit about £3,500. I could make that next week by temping for a big oil company for 
an hour in the morning. I don't need it. I just asked for it to fuck you off. Like, that is kind of, like, you know, it's difficult to escape the conclusion that they only lobbied for that extra money to piss me off. And as I say, there is a question mark now because they are pursuing this idea that for extra money, they should see increased productivity. And what I'm saying, dear listeners, and what you're thinking, no doubt, is if we are going to open that discussion that money equals productivity, what is the productivity that we can expect from our MPs as a result of their £82,000, you know, 7% increase or whatever it was, and this extra £15 million that's floating around somewhere? What's the extra productivity? What can we expect for that? I suspect the answer to that question is actually quite awkward for the Conservative Party. I suspect the answer to that question, the productivity, the return on investment, is probably a more accurate way of describing it. The return on invest, the ROI for that 15 million is actually probably pretty good. <laughs> it's just a shame that the return is not coming to us. It's, no, it's coming nowhere near us. Whoever's paying, you know, Theresa May two million to do a speech, whoever's funneling a hundred grand into Michael Gove's office stuff, whoever's paying £52,000 in donations and uh, fucking bribery and free tickets to this guy over here. They're, like, there's nothing coming back to us. They're not putting in more hours analysing the efficiencies of local services and making sure that these people have a roof over their heads or these people are gonna, not going to be denied free school meals. or whatever. None of that. The return on investment, the productivity increase that we can expect for them getting 15 million and their 82,000 pounds a year and their 7% pay rise or whatever the fuck it was, is hooky fucking policy and gaslighting and motherfuckers standing at the dispatch box signing off on new bills and watered down regulation and, you know, that's what we can expect in terms of productivity. God, it gets me fucking riled. I think I said this a few episodes ago, but do you ever are you ever tempted, guys, to withdraw the £82,000, right, if there was a way to do so? Like, if you could be treasurer for Westminster Parliamentary Salary HR or whatever the fuck they're called, but like, imagine if you, as the treasurer or whatever, uh, if you could just withdraw the £82,000, right? Stuff it into a brown envelope. And then instead of having it appear in their current account once a month, you just met, like, Scott Benton or Ben Bradley or Michael Gove. You just met them in an underground car park somewhere and you, like, you turn up in, like, a Rain Mac <laughs> with like a you know old old school cowboy hat like to shadow your face and you've got shades on like looking like some sort of fbi cliche or so but you're you, you know you're just a, a little bit dodgy a little bit shady and you just hand them the brown envelope 
with the £82,000. So they get confused and think it's some shady donation and then actually act in your interest. How about that? There we go. I've solved it. Let's continue. Let's have a look at another um, uh, another new story that's bubbling up, guys. Um, I think a big story today is Prince Harry. And I don't really want to spend time, you know, talking about this shit because it's, it is distraction PR. It's not the actual news. We should be talking about gas, electricity, the... Uh, impending homelessness crisis that's going to happen later this year, the explosion of food banks, the fact that people in full-time jobs that are in traditional industries like uh, fucking, yeah, like junior doctors, um, mid-level software engineers, um, city PAs, people who have like somewhere between that 30 and 50k salary, which when it's piped up on you know, daytime TV, when they say, this person was earning £57,000. Like, it's always seen as a large salary, isn't it? But it's always relative. It's always like, where was that guy living? In London? Well, that's actually not that much. And now people on 57k a year who live in London, after their rent or after their mortgage has doubled, people are going to find it really fucking hard to survive later this year. So we should be talking about that stuff. Top of the news agenda for the last few days is this Harry interview and, you know, the latest round of revelations. But it is important to talk about it in terms or in the context of uh, gaslighting. And the reason I I say that, I mean, I, I always hesitate to use the term gaslighting, but what I mean is sort of conversational manipulation. It is a great example of tabloids taking what somebody said and then contorting it, twisting it and serving it back to the public to make the public think that these two were idiots and that they said something that was completely unacceptable before. And that's why the tabloids are so angry at them. Okay, so what did Harry and Meghan actually say uh, a few months ago when they did the Oprah interview? They said the UK is not racist. But the tabloids in the UK are racist. That is what they said, right? So just bank that for a minute. They didn't say the royal family is racist. They suggested that a couple of comments had been made here and there that were racist. And they also said that the monarchy as an institution is racist. And they have suggested that the UK is institutionally racist. These are separate things. I don't know if it goes back to the thing that I always say where I'm like, you know, are they really this stupid that they don't understand the difference? Or are they just hoping that you are, you know? But those are very different accusations. You could storm into a, uh, into a pub and say, this guy over here is racist, right? That is a, a heavy thing to accuse someone of. You know, is he running around in a Ku Klux Klan hat? Or, you know, did he punch a black guy while shouting a load of slurs? If he did, fine. But if you say... The pub is institutionally racist or the pub has a racism problem. That is a different thing to saying everyone in the pub is racist. OK, if you don't understand the difference between those two things, I don't think you should be qualified to be retailing out fucking newspapers and headlines, making people believe that this is what other people are saying. Do you understand what I say? What I'm saying? What I'm getting at here? They're different things. 
So it started with that, with the Oprah interview a few months ago. And look, I, I don't want to sound, you know, super predictable and agree with everything that Harry and Meghan say. I don't agree with everything that they say. I don't think that they're particularly likable as a couple. I think they make some good points, but I also think they're a bit annoying. But on this, I do think that their arguments hold water. The UK is institutionally racist. That is not a matter of debate. That is a fact. The UK is so institutionally racist, <laughs> in fact, that a report, a government report into institutional racism was itself the victim of institutional racism. <laughs> if you can get your head around that. The government sanctioned a report into institutional racism and that report in being written included made up quotes. People who were cited as having given evidence to it came out later and said, I was never fucking asked to contribute to that report. So that report is full of shit. I never said that. Or if they did say things to the report, their uh, evidence that they offered to the report was then misrepresented. So the report itself was shaped in an institutionally racist way. And then it was sat on and delayed by an Etonian Oxbridge idiot who was like, well, the racism thing is a bit of a problem for me. So that, again, more institutional racism playing a role. So a report into institutional racism in the UK was itself bound and gagged by institutional racism. That's how fucking ripe it is. So they were right about that. And they were right about the monarchy being institutionally, institutionally racist. I can't talk today. Clearly, I need I need a beer. Get myself wound up here. That's see. This is when the adrenaline starts flowing through me, and I get a, a little bit shaky. But fuck it. At least you know it's real when I'm saying it to you, right? Um. So they were right about that, about the institutional racism from a political standpoint, also from the Metropolitan Police uh, Police's standpoint. We all know that. There's been reports into that. The monarchy, the fact that we still live now in the shadows of the colonies, even though they're dressed up as the Commonwealth these days. And these are things that Harry and Meghan have shone a light on in their documentary, if you chose to watch it. Um... But the way that the tabloids have taken all of that, twisted it, manipulated it and served it back to the public has been like Harry and Meghan have said that the royal family are racist. No, they haven't. <laughs> are you mental? What's wrong with you? Harry and Meghan have said the whole country's racist. No, they didn't. What are you talking about? <laughs> and this is what they do. They take a thing that somebody has said, they twist it, they manipulate it, contort it, and serve it back so that you, I mean, not you, because you're listening to this podcast, so I'm sure that you're incredibly intelligent and you are way above having that sort of conversational manipulation served up to you. But there are millions of people out there. I mean, I always say this on almost every episode that half the fucking country are morons and they will just gobble that shit up. They'll be like, oh, the Sun and the Express tell me that they told it. They said, they said this, so I, I guess that's what happened. And it really is kind of criminal, you know? It's the same as when, um, when Michael Gove... I don't know if you guys remember this, right? Michael Gove, um, this is a few months ago, 
And I think it was at the height of the asylum seeker process for, I can't remember if it was Ukraine, if there was some sort of drama with getting people through, uh, through ports and borders from Ukraine, or was it something to do with the fall of Afghanistan? Or was it, I, I can't remember, but it was something to do with uh, the public's frustration and the press's frustration at getting asylum seekers through various channels and getting them, you know, housed and clothed and fed. And Gove's response to this in the House of Commons was basically this. It was, I have had it up to here with people suggesting that this country doesn't do its fair share. This country has a proud tradition of blah, blah, blah. Now, it's exactly the same as what the tabloids are doing with Harry and Meghan. Nobody's suggesting that this country isn't generous. Nobody was suggesting that this country doesn't have a proud tradition of helping asylum seekers and helping refugees. This country has a fantastic reputation and history of helping asylum seekers and refugees. This country actually, only a matter of months ago, maybe a year and a bit ago now, opened its doors en masse to people who were displaced by the conflict in Ukraine. Do you remember that? Lo hundreds of thousands of people phoning up phone lines and saying, I will, I'll take them, I'll help them. Sure, yeah, a family of four, I've got a spare room, I'm sure I can find blah, blah, blah. This country, there's no problem or shortage of people that are willing to put themselves out to help people in trouble from foreign nations. This country, there's no, nobody suggesting that. Everyone's suggesting there's a problem with you, mate, and your party. But this is what they do. They, they take an accusation, an allegation, that might hold water. And then what they do is they stretch it out across a whole entity or institution or populace. And then they pretend that the original accusation was leveled at that particular institution or entity or populace. And that gets them off the hook because then that gives them ammunition to be able to say, that's ridiculous. This country is not racist or this car, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? And it is a manipulation. It's, I guess people would call it gaslighting. But as I say, I always hesitate to use that term. It's like, so I did a TikTok on this earlier, but it, 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 it's like if you accused your wife of fucking your brother, you're like, did, can you just stop fucking my brother? Now, your wife says she could, she could address the allegations. She could say, well, hang on a second. Where the fuck does this come from? But instead of doing that, instead of saying, well, like, why would you think I was fucking your brother? Like trying to get to the substance, trying to actually get to the issue and address it and prove her innocence. Instead of doing that, what does she say? She goes, I have had it up to here with men like you calling women like us sluts. I've had it. This is a misogyny thing. Do you know what I mean? And there it is. It's like she's taken the thing and stretched it out across and exaggerated it into something that it was absolutely no way resembling before. And that gives a, a chance to get off the hook. It is exact, even though in this made up scenario in my head, she is in fact fucking your brother. Like it's, it's completely gotten her off the hook. And that is what they, so Michael Gove did it with the refugees and the asylum seekers and the tabloids are now doing it with Harry and Meghan. Their accusation that they were making was that there is institutional racism in the UK. That is a fact. It's not up for debate. Their accusation is that the monarchy is in and of itself 
a racist institution. I don't think you could fucking argue that. When every six months, there's some fucking news footage of William and Kate going on tour to some former colony, and they're all, like, clapping their hands, waving Union Jacks. Yeah, we fucking... Oh, we love the Queen. Yeah, we love the King. Like, they've been conditioned and brainwashed by British-funded schools out there. Now, now to come out and then clap the ancestors... Not the ancestors, the, uh... Uh... The children whose ancestors murdered and looted those places, stole all their gold and their resources. And then they're like, just just as they were about to claim independence, they're like, no, 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 you could be part of this thing called the Commonwealth. In you come, lads. Like, that is what has happened. And these guys are shining a light on that. But instead of listening to that, instead of engaging with that substance, they're doing the old Michael Gove. They're doing the old cheating wife who's been fucking your brother, trying to stretch it out, turn it into something that it isn't. Oh, you shouldn't listen to Harry and Meghan. They think they, they, they've said that the entire UK is racist. Are you racist? No, you're not racist. I've never seen you punch a black guy. Well, it's, uh, they're obviously stupid then. Harry's gone mad. Like, I don't think the tabloids get to say if Harry and Meghan have gone mad. I don't think the tabloids get to say or conclude or roll out news reports that Harry is being self-destructive, for example. That's another one that they've wheeled out this last week. Because the only people who are saying that Harry is being self-destructive are the same people who were saying <laughs> that what Harry is saying is wrong or that he's telling everyone that they're racist or that you know they're already misrepresenting what he's saying and so as a byproduct of that yeah if he was saying all that stuff he would be being self-destructive but fortunately for him you're all talking shit anyway guys that, that's been an hour of me uh also talking shit um if you're enjoying the podcast uh please do consider jumping on the patreon uh it's patreon.com forward slash aid thompson with an IN, I usually try and put a link to the Patreon in the show notes. So if you're listening to this on like Apple Podcasts or whatever, there should be a little link to the Patreon. I make it super, super easy, uh, easy, and it's super cheap to um to sign up to. It's only three quid a month, so that's enough just to get me a coffee, to doff the cap to me, and say nice one, Aid. Enjoying the show. Um, and they do, you know what? They take a bit of work. I put a bit of prep in. I work hard to make them look incredibly disheveled and disorganized and a bit punk rock but they are you know it takes a little bit of work um and as i say you know i want to turn this into a full-time thing so uh, your support is much appreciated if you're not in a position to support the show financially that is fine i understand my bills are fucking going through the roof so you know if your bills are also doubling i you know who am i to fucking ask you to jump on my fucking patreon um but what I would say is if you're enjoying the show and you want to share it around, that would be really, really helpful. So, um, yeah, if you want to just copy the link, uh, it's usually like an upwards icon. You can just tap it and then it'll say copy link to the show or whatever. Um, and then you just pop that in Twitter or WhatsApp and just share me around with a friend like or a friends, plural. If you're fortunate enough to have more than one friend, if you've got children, I understand if you don't um, have friends, that is rather than understanding that you don't have children although you know what well, i would understand if you didn't want to have children also um 
But yeah, just share me around because you know what? That helps to grow the podcast and word of mouth is so, so good for stuff like this. Um, and as I say, I'm really enjoying it and I'm, you know, I want to make sure that I'm continuing to put stuff out to you. So the more people that listen in, the quicker this thing will grow and the quicker I can make it my full time thing. Right. So. Uh, so, yeah. And finally, if you know what, if you if you don't have friends and you don't have money, you don't want to jump on the Patreon, you don't want to share me around. Just say hello. Just pop something on Twitter. Uh, tag me at Aid Thompson. Um, just say hello saying really enjoying the podcast and that's also really really helpful because then I can retweet you I can use you to brag to my friends and my enemies guys that's it um I'll, uh, you know what you know what quick shout out to the patrons Anthony Pingu David Alex Chris and Rax thank you guys for uh, for jumping on and supporting the show uh, Ricardo Silent T-Rex Oliver Sarah and Kerry uh, I I keep saying this but you guys you guys rock my world you really do you rock my world. You allow me to continue sending out content. Um, yeah, sorry, it's got a bit weird there. I'm going to jump off now. Thank you so much. Thanks again. I'll catch up with you soon. Cheerio! Cheerio!